Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church Podcast. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. And uh, right now we're currently waist deep in chapter number two, and uh, we are we are right in the, the, the thick of things and understanding what Peter is trying to get across to us around the subject of submission that we began last week. And I want to remind us just very quickly that Peter is giving us a biblical roadmap for how we can live impactful lives because of our salvation and calling. And so this is what Peter is trying to do. He's given us and helped us to establish our faith in Christ and who Christ is and who he created us to be. And now what he's trying to do is show us and reveal to us, this is how you can live as a Christian an impactful life because of whose you are, because you are saved, not because you're trying to get saved or earn salvation, but because you are saved already. And the thing about Peter that's interesting is he's not creating a distinction uh, between believers and non-believers by focusing on what we remove from our lives. So he's not saying like, hey, if you want to be known as a Christian, then you need to not do all of these things. Now, are there elements of that in the Christian life? Of course there are. And does he mention some things? Yes, of course. But primarily, the focus of Peter for us to be known as Christians, for us to be impactful individuals, is we should be known for what we are for, what we are bringing uh, positively the good aspects and grace-filled characteristics that we as Christians are exemplifying in our world. See, the true impact of biblical separation, which is a command given to us, just so we are all clear on that, we are commanded to be distinct and to be unique from this world, but the impact of it is not just seen in what we abstain from, but it is seen in the good that we pursue and the good that we exemplify in our world. That is what makes us stand out in our world because we recognize that we are not the servants of our flesh, we are servants of God. And that's what it all comes down to, church family, is who are you serving today? Are you serving your flesh or are you serving the Lord God? And if you're a person that is serving God, then what that means is that you are going to pursue good things that point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Peter is doing here in verses uh, 13 through 25 uh, that we are covering over the last couple of weeks, he is digging deep into the practical application of one of the most powerful Christian characteristics that is distinct, that is unique above so many other things, and that is the subject of submission. Or last week we talked about submit. That is the Greek word hypostasio, hypotasso, sorry, to subordinate, to obey, to be under obedience, to be in subjection. Now, some of you might still be wondering, even after last week, after last week's message, some of you might be wondering, Pastor, why does submission have to be one of the distinct characteristics of the Christian life? You know, why can't it be, uh, I don't know, standing up, for, you know, resisting? Why can't that be the Christian distinctive that we're known for? Why, why can't it be boldness? Why can't it, God, uh, God, God, yeah, God, we're talking to God here. Why can't it just be kindness, right? That makes sense. Like, why can't that be the distinctive? Why does submission have to have such an important role in the life of the Christian. Well, it all comes back again to whose we are. We are Christ. And if we are Christ followers, then we look at what Christ is all about. And Jesus himself was, in fact, the greatest example of submission, of submitting himself, uh, really the humility that he showed when he submitted himself 
to death on the cross for the sins of all mankind. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 6, verse 37 through 38. He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And then verse 38, he, lay, he just lays it out here for us. He says, for I came down from heaven. Here's, here's why I came. Not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Jesus himself is the greatest example of submission when he submitted himself to the Father and came to this earth to do the will of God. And that submissive spirit of Christ is critical to understanding what Peter is trying to get across to those that are scattered believers and strangers and pilgrims in a land. That's us today. He's saying to us, you need to understand this area of submission. It is critical because it is who Christ was. It is what Christ exemplified for us. Now, last week in verses 13 through 17, we talked about submission to governmental authority and how it is one of the ways that we live out our submission to Jesus Christ. And we do that by submitting to our earthly leaders. It is a way for us, remember, it is a way for us to represent Jesus Christ in our world. And I would encourage you, if you missed last week's message, uh, go back and watch it on YouTube or listen to the podcast and catch up because I think it's, it's foundational. I covered a lot of foundational aspects in it last week that are going to carry over into today's message. And so if you miss it, you can follow along today, of course, but maybe go back and uh, remind yourself of what took place last week because it is a foundation. So last week, we, we set the foundation of submission, but now Peter moves into another area that Christians are to submit. And we see that in verse number 18 through verse number 20. Let's begin. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscious towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Verse 20 says, For what glory is it if, when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. The second point from this passage, after submitting to governmental authority, is that we need to submit to masters. We need to submit to masters. We look again at verse number 18. When he says here, servants be subject, that is actually the exact same Greek word that hippotasso that we see earlier for submit. It is the exact same word that is translated here, be subject to your masters with all fear. Now, we cannot read this verse, especially verse number 18 there, and read about servants being subject to your masters without it bringing up the atrocities of slavery. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I see this in Scripture, I think of slavery. I think of the atrocities that we, of course, know, the racist slavery that was experienced in North America and in much of the world generations ago. And when we read these verses, sometimes as Bible-believing Christians, we know that slavery is an abomination to God. I just want to put that out there right away. It is a crime against Humanity, people that are created in the image of God. Uh, even in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, uh, in a description of a whole bunch of sins that are given to us, the idea of a, men's, a man-stealer is the word there, of somebody who is an enslaver is listed as horrific sins against humanity. And so when we read a verse here, and it seems like Peter is saying, if you're a servant and you have a master, that you should be uh, obeying them and respecting them with all fear, it seems like Peter is accepting of something that is terrible, doesn't it? At first reading, you see that and you say, huh, what, what does that mean? I mean, why doesn't Peter say, servants, 
reject slavery and fight for your freedom? Why doesn't Peter say, what's your problem? (laughs) Come on now, this is a sin. What, What is going, why is he telling us and these people, why is he saying to them that they should submit to their masters with all fear? By the way, those are good questions to ask. Because certainly there's a large segment of unbelievers in our world today that believe, and they genuinely believe in their heart, that the Bible teaches that slavery is okay, that the Bible condones the idea of slavery rather than rejects it. Now, this is not the focus of the message, I just want you to know, but whenever we come to these passages, we need to talk about them and we need to see them in light of Scripture. I think it's good for us to work through some of them. So when we look at this subject from a biblical viewpoint, and of course, we have to understand the context that Peter is writing within We need to remember that this is written to believers who are dispersed, who are scattered among the Roman Empire, the occupied territories of the Roman Empire. And if you know anything at all about the Roman Empire, you know that the Roman Empire was built on the backs of slaves. It really was. They estimated the time that upwards of 40 to 60% of the population were in some form of slavery, either subjected, they were either uh, taken in a conquest, and then, by the way, (laughs) the Roman Empire viewed if they took over a nation, if they attacked another nation, and they, instead of killing the people, put them into slavery, they considered that an act of kindness to that, that people. They did not kill all of them, they put them into slavery. And so that's how they built a lot of these aspects of slavery. It was not racially motivated, by the way. It was pretty much anyone could be subjected to slavery, including uh, someone who owed a great debt to somebody else could in fact pay off their debt by putting themselves into slavery. There was a very unique, and and I'm not gonna get into all of the background of it, but there were ways that you could earn and buy your way back into freedom. And there was all sorts of, most of the doctors and lawyers and others were all slaves. And the way that the Roman Empire operated is that if we are the greatest empire in the world, in the known world, then why should we do any work at all? Our subjects should do all of the work. And so that's what they pursued. And so the people who were Roman citizens literally did almost no work at all whatsoever. Everyone had someone else doing their work for them. Okay, so that's one aspect of slavery that we understand. But here's what we need to recognize in the context of this passage. If that high of a percentage. Imagine if 40 or 50% of Canada was in some sort of slavery. We would understand that if the gospel was going to be spread amongst all of those people, I think it's reasonable to understand that the gospel is going to reach many of those people that were in a position of slavery already. And the churches all over the Roman Empire, and we see this reference in Corinthians and Ephesians and other places, references this relationship between those that were in slavery and those that were in freedom. Now, Peter neither, and we don't really see this in Scripture, it neither condemns nor does it condone Roman slavery. But we have to remember, and this is why context, church family, is so important here, is that Peter is writing to people who were already in this position. These were not people that were being attacked and put into slavery or people that were, uh, you know, going out and, and, and getting more. They, these are people that were already in this position. And so to those that were already in this terrible and horrible position, he is trying to teach them about how they are to respond. 
Remember, we talked about this last week a little bit. If, if the Christians and the early believers were to only known as this rebellious, I mean, fight against the power, fight against Rome type of individuals, as we talked about last week, what do you think would happen? Swiftly, an edict would be put against those people, and they would be snuffed out. And we saw that already. They, the Christians struggled greatly for freedoms within the Roman Empire. But imagine now they began to rebel against the very thing that Rome was built upon. Think about it. The very uh, structure and foundation of the Roman Empire was built on slavery, and now you have a a, a minority group of people beginning to rebel against this and begin to attack it because of a letter that Peter wrote. No, Peter was following what Scripture teaches us, which is to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. And so he's being very, he's being wise here when he speaks to these people. So understand, it's not him condoning anything at all. He's being wise because he realizes that To rebel in this area, it would only bring the anger and punishment of the Roman Empire, and ultimately it would hurt or snuff out the cause of the gospel. And so what we see through the New Testament is that the apostles speaking to the believers teach them how to live within that structure that was already in place. Just like today, we live in ungodly structures, don't we? We live in a in a governmental environment that is not pursuing or 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 in any way holding the things of God. And so what do we do as Christians? We learn to live for Christ in a wicked society. So this is exactly what is happening to them, except their wicked society today, we would look at it and say, whoa, that was really wicked. By the way, they would look at our society today and say, wow, that is really wicked. <laughs> this is always wicked. And so as Christians, what do we do in a wicked society? We live for God within that. And we try to make a difference, not by going out and fighting and, and uh, you know, doing all of this crazy stuff like we talked about. We're not to be known for our rebellion, but we should be known for transformation, which is what really makes a difference. And so what he's trying to tell these, uh, these Christians, these believers here, is that, listen, we're going to change the system, but the system's going to be changed by the transformation of lives through salvation in Jesus Christ. We're going to change some things, but we're going to do it Right. Just like today, we try to do the same things. We're not out there, you know, like, oh man, if we just had a better government, things would be all right. Man, if the, if the conservatives were in power or the NDP was in power or the CPC was in power or the Green Party was in power, then everything would be okay. We would all say, yeah, right. No, no, no. So how do we make a difference as Christians? We reach people with the gospel and see transformation take place one person at a time in a community. You know, imagine as we are in this community now, in this new neighborhood for us as we've moved here, and I'm so excited about the opportunities this spring and summer of outreach and, and our group of people here beginning to make a difference. But now imagine with us if in maybe a year or a year and a half or two years, this group that is here right now sitting in this room is double what it is right now. Imagine the ability for impact. Maybe in two or three years or maybe in six months, I don't know. It's triple what we are right now. Imagine that on Sundays we're here and this place and this building is packed then imagine the impact in the community. Do you understand what I'm saying? Things grow in that way, one person at a time, coming to know Christ, getting their heart right, and having a passion for souls. That's how you change a community, is you see that just that, that multiplication that takes place. And so this is the principle here behind Peter's statement when he says to them, he says, listen, you're in a bad situation. You're in a tough situation, but you can still bring honor to God and still live in a way that pleases God as a Christian, in a terrible situation. Now, the application here for this passage for us is seen in the way that Peter encourages these servants to respond to their masters because the instructions to slaves and masters in the New Testament really can be applicable to any generation of people that are employed. 
Any generation of people that are employers, essentially us today. A man by the name of Francis Folk said this. He said, the principle of the whole section applies apply to employees and employers in every age, whether in the home, in business, or in the state. And so I want us to understand that the application we're going to cover here this morning of these truths can apply to us today. And so let's see how we are to be submissive. Remember, the idea is all about submission within a system, Okay. How do we be submissive? Look at verse number 18 again. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. The, the thing that we notice here, first of all, is that as employees, let's put ourselves in this position, okay? By the way, if you have somebody who writes your check, you are subject to them in many ways. <laughs> you don't just have complete freedom, and I'll say this, if you employ people, you say, well, I'm the top of my company. I own my company. Guess who you're subject to? Your customers. <laughs> you're subject. We are all servants to somebody. And so here we see that we are to be respectful. He says the idea that we are to treat them with all fear. That is the idea of respect. When we talk about fear of God, that is the respect and honor of God. And so he's saying to us, listen, you need to live your life as an employee, the person that you work, work with and work for. You are to be respectful to those, not only to the good and gentle. Notice that. Now, that's easy, isn't it? If you've ever had a good boss, oh, man, I've had some good bosses. Oh, Jesus is my boss. Yeah, he's a good boss, too. You know what I mean. Uh, we all say that. But you've maybe had a good boss in your job. And, man, we love working for a good boss. And it's encouraging, and we love going to work. And it's such a blessing. But he says here that you should give them respect. By the way, oftentimes people take advantage of a good, and, and a good boss, don't they? They take advantage of that. But as Christians, we are to be respectful to not only the good or the easy person to work for, but also to those who, according to verse 18, are froward, is the word that is translated there. Literally translated, it means crooked. Now think about that for a moment. That you should give respect to your crooked boss, to your bad boss, <laughs> To the one who cheats, the one who is not honest, the one who mistreats their employees, basically a not great boss, you should give respect to them, not because they are worthy of your respect, but because, in verse 19, notice, it is thankworthy, meaning it is commendable is what that word means. It is commendable if a man for conscious towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Now, this is really, really interesting. He says that as an employee, you should still treat a bad employer in, a, in the right way, in a good way, because it is commendable if you suffer wrong for your godly attitude. That's what he means by your conscience towards God, meaning you are, you are a reflection of Christ. The way that you think is godly. And so if you suffer because you have a godly testimony and a bad boss, it is a commendable thing, God says. It is a commendable thing for you to suffer in this way. If you treat your abusive and your unkind boss with respect, guess what? They're probably going to continue to take advantage of you, won't they? That's, I know what some of you are thinking. Man, if I, if I started being nice to my boss and I didn't resist my boss all the time and I didn't always cause him trouble, then he would just take advantage of me and I would be, okay, yes, there is a potential for that, of course. There's a chance they won't treat you any better, but Peter is telling us it is commendable if you suffer because your suffering is for doing the right thing. 
that you're suffering not just because of the conditions of your employment or the person who's over you, but you're suffering because you're still doing the honorable thing of giving and showing respect to that person who is over you. And we are to do this as Christians for one reason and one reason only, because we know that God is the one who will ultimately right all the wrongs, won't he? God is. And so it enables us to persevere with the right kind of attitude, the right testimony, as we proactively show Christ. Again, this is what it's all about, right? To show forth the praises of the one who's taken us from darkness into light. And if you as a Christian tell your boss, I'm a Christian, and then you're disrespectful to them, and you resist them constantly, and you're always causing problems with the other employees, that does not show forth the one that you claim to be a servant of. And so he's trying to say at the base level, even if you're in a position of slavery, of, of being a servant to somebody else, and they may or may not be a good master, it does not matter. You should show forth the praises of Christ through your respectful attitude towards them. Now, the question always arises, and some of you I know are thinking this right now. I have mind meld right now. I know what you're thinking. Here's what you're thinking. But what if I am genuinely being abused in my employment? <laughs> What if, uh, what if I am genuine, I'm being mistreated? What if my company is breaking the law? My boss is a criminal. First of all, you shouldn't work for the mafia ever. It's never a good thing, okay? Never a good thing. But that's a logical question, isn't it? Of course. And just like last week, we asked the question about when do we draw the line of standing uh, for, for our Christian freedoms, you know, up to government. In the same way with employment, it's the same way. Guess what? The same principle applies as last week. We live in a country of laws, don't we? Thankfully. We live in a country that if you just Google the term Vancouver or, or British Columbia employment protections or employee help or employee protections, you'll find entire areas of the British Columbia website dedicated to employees that are suffering and going through difficulty. And I'll tell you what, I've had to advocate on the behalf of some people in my life who were in abusive relationships, <laughs> employee relationships. People were taking advantage of them because of their immigration status or threats or whatever. Okay? Some of you have maybe even been through that yourself. It's not a good place to be. So what I'm trying to say is that we live in a country of laws, and so it's definitely within your rights as a believer to take the steps if you need to report your employer, if there's a genuine aspect of abuse or criminality. Did you know you can call the police? You can, you can call the police if your boss is breaking the law. That is actually within your rights and you will have protection. So I'm not saying here that we just sit back and let, you know, crimes happen, you know, and, and let all of this terrible stuff happen and just take the abuse, take the abuse, take the abuse. No, no, no. Okay, we've got to be wise about this. But the point is that most of us are not pushed to that edge. Most of us just have bosses that annoy us, right? They ask maybe too, we think they're asking too much of us. We can put it that way. Chris is laughing. I don't know why. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> right? And we, th we think that, man, they're just, they're just, it, it just sort of bothers us. The situation is maybe just less than ideal. It's not what we think it should be, or we're not happy in that career. But let's be honest, that's most workplaces. That's just what it is. Unless you're, I mean, unless you're, <laughs> unless you're making tons of money for no work and you're just living the dream, you're gonna, it's not going to be ideal for all of us. We recognize that. Even for those who own their own businesses, customers are fickle and difficult and challenging and <laughs> you're constantly trying to figure out what the deal is. The point is, though, we as Christians should always be reflecting the heart of Christ by respectfully submitting to our employers. That we should be the ones. If there's anybody in the company that they could at least say, I know that they respect me, 
and I know that they uh, ha- are honest, it should be the Christian in the company. It should be the one who is the believer. He continues in verse 20. He says, for what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, buffeted means punished for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. See, bearing the pain of unjust suffering is commendable before the Lord if it is because of your faith. But notice here, there's no commendation if you have to deal with punishment that is deserved. You see that there in the first part? He says, what glory is it if you be buffeted for your faults? Now, here's another interesting thing. He says, if you are being uh, going through difficulty, now here's where it comes to the way that we look at things and the way that, that sometimes we view ourselves. This is why it's important for us to be very self-aware as individuals, to be aware of the impact that we have of how we present ourselves or how we speak to other people. Because here's what he's saying. If you endure suffering and you've done nothing to deserve it, except for the fact that you're a Christian and you're being respectful and you've been abused, okay, then that's, that's commendable to God. However, if you are suffering in your job and you're being punished maybe because you did something wrong, <laughs> there's no credit for that. Meaning, if you're punished at work because of something that you did that was your own fault, own up to it, is what he's saying. <laughs> Don't be like, I'm suffering for Jesus. I, I, I messed up the books and it's totally my fault. But man, I'm just under persecution. Lord, will you see my suffering? You know, and, I, I, and it's your fault. You know, I took the corner too, too fast and the back door flipped open and all the product flew out in the street. But I'm suffering for Jesus. No, no, if it's your fault, okay? If it's your fault, own up to it, take responsibility and accept it. You know, we live in a day where people do not want to take responsibility. Oh man, yeah, some of you in your, in, in, at your workplaces, you know what that's like. People do not want to take responsibility, even if it's their own fault, they find a way to blame the employee. They find a way to, employ, uh, to, to blame their boss or blame the company, don't they, right? I mean, that's why there's lawsuits over things like people getting burned with hot coffee. It's like, I would like to have a coffee, please. Oh, it burned me. I didn't know it was going to be hot. Like, come on, right? They're, it's your own fault. You burn yourself. And, uh, and, and th- we live in this, this crazy, crazy world, but Christians should be able to, should be the ones who take responsibility when they are in the wrong. I mentioned, I think a couple weeks ago that I used to work at Ford down here at Maine and Marine Drive, Brown Brothers Ford. And, uh, and like I said, I did not go out and do donuts behind the buildings like my, and my, my coworkers did and taught me how to do and showed me where to do it. But I will say this, I think it was in my second year that I was working there, um, I got probably one of the best jobs that I could have as someone working on a car lot is that they said, we need you to move, Paul, I need you to move 12 brand new Ford uh, GT Mustangs, and I need you to move them from the dealership and drive all of them just down the road. We had another shop over here, actually not too far from here, just down Marine Drive off of Kent Drive. And so they said, we need to move 12 of them. So uh, the other guy and I, he got in a, in a runner car, just like a regular car. And guess what? I jumped in those GTs and I took all 12 of them down. And then he would bring me back. I get another one, all stick shift, you know. Well, there was this little stretch of Kent Drive, Kent Road back here on the other side of Marine. That's even, it runs parallel to Kent. It's a part of Kent, but it's a parallel. And it's just a shorter section. But if you go and pull down there, there's really nothing there. A few businesses. And so I kind of had a little, I was driving 12 of them, right? It took me an you know, hour or so. So guess what? Every time I hit that little stretch, I would drop it into second and I would just, I would just let it go. And I, I will say, yes, I did a few burnouts down there and I just sort of romped on it all the way down that section. I braked safely and then drove in all quiet and then cleaned the rubber off the fenders when I uh, <laughs> dropped it off. 
So I thought nothing of it, right, until maybe, I don't know, an hour or two later, my boss calls me into the boardroom, and there was several of the higher-ups in there, and I'm just, you know, I'm just the lot guy, and I'm there in my cargo shorts. Hey, what's up, you know? And uh, they're like, somebody was doing peel-outs and driving up and down, and some businesses called the company, called Ford, and they said, your lot guys are, you know, having a good time and causing issue and da 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 and they asked me, they said, was that you? Was that you? And uh, I was faced with a challenge because I'll tell you what, all of my other guys that I worked with, guaranteed it could have been them. Guaranteed it could have been them. And I said to them, I said, no, you know what? You're right. It was me. And I remember my boss saying to me, he said, I can't. He's like, of all the people here, <laughs> that's what he said. And the whole company, I said, oh, come on, man. The whole company said, of all the people here, I would have never expected you to do that. And he says, if you had lied to me, He's like, I would have fired you right now. And uh, that really made an impact with me in my life because a couple of things it taught me. Be honest. I got to keep my job because I was honest. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I didn't do that again. <laughs> I don't think I did. Maybe, I don't, I don't think I did. At least not there, I know. I didn't do it again there. But the thing that it taught me is that I need to always be honest and open. Always, they kind of knew it was me already. I think the other guys had already ratted me out. I didn't realize that, but they had already had another meeting with the other guys, and they didn't even believe them when they said it was me. But I learned, you've got to be honest. It was my fault, and you got to take responsibility for it. And that's what he says. God says, listen, if you're suffering in your workplace because you're just not doing your job, if you're suffering in your workplace because you're not giving a good day's wage for what you're being paid, if you're having trouble because you're not being honest, because you're, you're stealing from your employer, you're doing something, you need to own up to that responsibility and do the right thing. Don't expect God to commend you for that if you are the one who is not doing the right thing, not having the right attitude. And so he addresses this idea, says, listen, we need to serve and, and be respectful in the right way. You know, Paul talked about this in Ephesians chapter six, where he said, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Now, Paul here is gonna put it all in context for us. He says, they are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as unto Christ. That's a key phrase. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. He says, be obedient to those that are over you. Why? Because you are the servants of Christ. Notice the distinction here. He's talking about masters according to the flesh. You're serving those of this world because you are the servant of Jesus Christ. Verse seven says, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same thing unto them for bearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. The instruction is clear. We are to submit to our earthly masters, our employers, recognizing that our respectful service brings glory to God. And so because of that, we can work hard. We can do our best because we're doing it for the Lord and not for them. Because I know that it's not always great to work hard for the bosses that we have. I get it. And so you have to, as we talked about on Wednesday night, the idea of recognizing the presence of God, even in your workplace, even with a boss that is not the greatest, you can recognize, okay, I am doing this for the Lord and not for them. I'm serving God because of my testimony, because I want to lift up Christ in my submission to those that are over me. It makes it a lot easier when you have a difficult boss because you're doing your job for the Lord and not for them. And if suffering comes about, 
because you're following Christ? Recognize that it's because you are following in the example of Jesus who went before us. And that brings us to our final point today, where we see Christ's example of submission. Christ's example of submission. Look with me at verse 21 through 22. He says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. No, Peter doesn't leave us on our own to figure out what our submission should look like. He just gives us the example, and he says, Super clear here, it is because of the sufferings of Christ. Jesus is the example that we are to follow. And so the humility of Christ, the submission of Christ to this world is given to us as an example. Notice there what it says. Christ also suffered, leaving us an example. Now, can we suffer in the same way with the same impact that Christ did? Of course not. Of course not. None of you can suffer in order to pay for the sins of the whole world, just so you know that, okay? You can't. However, we can follow in his example where we see in the verse that he suffered, he did no sin, meaning he was righteous. Now, we, of course, are not sinless. However, we can do our very best and live our life and be, be honorable and respectful with the best testimony that we possibly can. We can do the right thing. That is certainly true. Let's continue in verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, that means abused. When he was abused, abused not again, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteousness. Who is the one who judges righteousness? It's God, isn't it? So when he was being abused, who did he commit himself to? God, the righteous judge. This is so key right here. When you are being abused and mistreated, we commit justice to the one who can actually give justice. That is God. Verse 24, speaking of Jesus again, this is so key who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Now these verses here are referencing Isaiah chapter 53, and the great reminder for us that Jesus was personally carrying the sins of the world upon him when he went to the cross. He healed us and gave us forgiveness of our sin because of his wounds. And because of his wounds, if you've accepted Christ, you then can be dead to the power of sin in your life. And if you are dead to the power of sin in your life, it has no hold on you. And so because of that, you are alive to the things that are right. You are alive unto righteousness. So the reminder here is that, listen, whatever difficulty you are in, whatever the struggle you are in, the challenges of your environment, you can actually live righteously and above that because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. The gospel impacts us even in our day-to-day -day lives. And this is what we've got to remember as believers, how impactful the gospel is to us. How much, of a, how much it helps us recognizing that Jesus died and suffered and paid the penalty of my sin so that I can live righteously before an unrighteous boss. So I can live uh, with proper respect. Now, Jesus, as we know, on the cross could have done a lot of different things. I know when I read scripture, I'm like, man, Jesus, why don't you just come off the cross, you know? Like he's on the cross and then just sort of fly out there and like strike everybody. That'd be awesome. <laughs> why didn't he just, you know, come down and make everything right? Well, he didn't because he still knew that his father had a job to do, that God the Father was the righteous judge. He was the one that was gonna right all of the wrongs, the outcome was up to him. And that's what I want us to understand this morning is that as believers, we can entrust ourselves and we can entrust our suffering into God's hands because God is ultimately the one who's gonna make things right. This is a great comfort for us when we're in seasons of suffering, when we're being mistreated by our boss. Now, I don't recommend that you say to your boss, like, oh, you're gonna get what's coming to you. I wouldn't recommend that. 
That might, <laughs> you might be getting in trouble for threatening your boss, you know. I wouldn't recommend that, but however, you can certainly understand that in your heart. You know what that might do for you? When you consider the judgment of God upon your boss, do you know what that might do for you? That might change your heart towards them. That might tender, tenderize your heart towards their lost soul. And it might, it just might change your attitude towards them. You see how it's all interconnected? Isn't it amazing how God works in this way? He says, leave it to me, I'm the righteous judge. And when you know that and you believe that, it actually changes the way you look at those people who might be mistreating you. I know I am thankful that I do not live under the wrath of God as a believer. I'm so thankful that I do not have hell to look forward to, but I have heaven to look forward to. And I would not wish that upon anybody. Even the most difficult people in this world are under the judgment of God, and we can help push them and point them in the right direction, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. See, this is what confident Christian living looks like. This is how the person that is being abused and mistreated and, and, and not, not in a great situation, even the situation like slavery, like we talked about, this is how a person like them can still live confidently. They can still submit themselves to the authorities that they find themselves under, even if they're wrong, even if they're, they're, they're not the best of situations. And the reason that they do that and the reason that we live in this way and live respectful is so that we can show forth the praises of the one who has brought us to the light. We will never suffer like Christ, but we can be light bearers of his suffering. And so through our joyful attitudes, even when we're mistreated, we can fulfill our calling to point others to him. This is the purpose of suffering. The purpose of suffering is so that others might know joy. The purpose of Christ coming to this earth was so that we might know salvation through him. The purpose of your suffering just might be so that somebody else would come to Jesus and know forgiveness and, and experience life through his name. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? To think that in our difficulty and in our hard situations, God can still be glorified. That's why we have to realize and recommend or remember that we can entrust ourselves to Jesus because he is the just and righteous judge. And in him, we have strength to walk in this world. And in him, we have peace because God is the shepherd and the bishop. He is the guardian. He is the protector of our soul. And he is the one that we can turn to. He is the one that can help us in this difficulty. So I wonder, are you submissive in your work situations? Do you realize the impact that the gospel, the salvation of Jesus Christ, what he bore on the tree for you, the impact that it has in you and the way that you relate to other people? Yes, you might be suffering now. Yes, it might be difficult now. Yes, you might be frustrated and, and upset. But listen, God is the righteous judge. He will make things right. Our, our job as Christians is super simple. Just show forth his praises, live for him. Be respectful, be honorable, and point others to Jesus Christ. Well, we do want to thank you so much for tuning into the message today. And if it's been a help and encouragement to you in any way, uh, we would ask that you share the podcast. And you can easily do that on either social media or maybe just uh, text the link to a friend. But like I said, it's our mission to help others find and follow Jesus here in Vancouver. Uh, all across Canada and even around the world. And so you sharing the message today can really contribute towards that. 
Also, we would love for you to make a connection with us if you haven't already. And so the two best ways to do that is either by liking our Facebook page, that's City Baptist Church, or following our Instagram account, Advanced City Baptist. And of course, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca. We do have all of our past sermon series on there available for you to stream, uh, past services, uh, worship, and just lots of other content and resources there to encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. But once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are looking forward to next week's message. We love you, we're praying for you, and we're here for you.